powerful word. I can see the skies cracking as we sing that song. Yesterday, uh, Senator Tim Scott hosted a veterans event here yesterday, and Senator Joni Ernst from Iowa came as his guest speaker, and they were especially honoring women veterans. And uh, Senator Ernst was an excellent speaker, but Senator Scott uh, pulled a surprise on her. Um, as she got up to, uh, just before she was to get up to speak, he was introducing her. And he said, I'm not quite sure I can do this justice. And Senator Ernst's daughter is a uh, first-year student at West Point. And he said, I think somebody else could do better. And he surprised her. Her daughter walked out, and it was an emotional moment. And uh, she introduced her mother, and then her mother gave some great remarks. But it was a very special thing to recognize. And the significance, of course, was uh, Veterans Day weekend, which is actually today, the 11th day of the 11th month. And uh, so this is the 100th anniversary of Veterans Day or Armistice Day. In fact, almost to the hour, because it was the 11th day at the 11th month at the 11th hour, but that was in Paris, that they signed the treaty that led to the close of World War I. And it was very symbolic, of course, the war to end all wars at the 11th day of the 11th month, at the 11th hour. A lot of symbolism there. But this day is a reminder to us that there is something worth fighting for and even something worth dying for. As Americans, we believe that to be freedom. And as Christians, we are also called to live and to die for something, which is the gospel. For the last 10 weeks, we've been on an adventure through the book of Acts, We've been following along uh, the Apostle Paul as he went on his second and third missionary journeys. And we come to conclude that series this morning. I know some of you are saying, thank goodness. So we'll move on to something next week as we head towards Thanksgiving. But for those who have been here, or maybe you've tuned in over the last several weeks, I hope you've learned something. I hope you've learned something special about this passage of Scripture, about what was happening, about what was going on. But we don't hear this just to be able to win Bible trivia, okay? The proposition we have from Scripture is that just as God commissioned Paul to go and to live on mission, he is also calling us today to go and to live on mission. The Holy Spirit is still strategically calling believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to join his mission to save the world. And so hopefully today we'll conclude this series by all of us saying yes. We will join that mission. So Paul is concluding his third missionary journey. He believes he will not return to Asia. So he's determined, actually in his heart, to go to Jerusalem. That's where he believes the Lord is leading him. He wants to go there to encourage the church there. We know he's taking an offering to the church there. We also know he wants to testify to the gospel at the temple. And Luke tells us that Paul wanted to get there before Pentecost. And so because of that, he's... He left Ephesus after a riot started, and now he's headed towards Jerusalem. Rather than stopping in Ephesus, because he doesn't feel like he has the time, they stop in Miletus, and he calls for the elders of the Ephesian church to travel 30 miles south down to where he was so that he could offer his kind of closing remarks, his farewell uh, to them. So this morning we're going to pick up where we've been. Once again, Acts, and we're going to be in chapter 20, and I'm going to be reading to you. From verses 18 through 27. Acts 20, 18 through 27. And when they had come to him, 
He said to them, you yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. In this passage, Paul reflects on his ministry and specifically his mission to Ephesus. And he reinforces that he fully gave himself to the work. And now he is prepared to follow the Spirit where the Spirit is leading him. The course before him. He's going to complete that work. Paul went all in for the gospel. For you and I to live on mission, we must accept that we can't serve God in part. But we must go all in for the gospel. So how do we do that? How do we go all in for the gospel? I think we'll learn from this passage that living all in for the gospel takes courage. It takes commitment. And it takes community. We're going to start with courage. And I think we fail to see just how critical this characteristic is if we are going to live on mission, if we're going to live for the Lord. We need courage. We're going to zoom in on verses 20 through 23 to consider the courage that Paul demonstrated both while he was on mission in Ephesus and also as he is looking through the, uh, through the windshield of his life, of where he's headed. So Paul is saying to these church elders here in this passage, you yourselves know, and he goes on to say, how I did not shrink from declaring, from teaching, and from testifying. Do you think that Paul had good reason to shrink in his ministry, to just step back? To maybe let somebody else to do it. Of course he did. I mean, he faced all kinds of opposition. Remember when he went to Philippi, he was arrested, he was beaten there, he was placed in chains, put in the inner cell. He was, there were riots in about every city he went to. They were dragging him out, they brought him before the ruling authorities. They tried to get him, all kinds of charges brought against him. So of course he had reason to step back. It was not easy. Not only that, he wasn't profiting from it. We know he actually had to work hard to support himself. He didn't want somebody else there in the city to have to pay for his mission work. He accepted gifts from people outside of the cities, but he worked hard making tents, being able to uh, make money for himself. Not only that, I'm sure he also had moments where he doubted his own conversion. And he thought, is this real? Did this really happen? Am I really, uh, did, did I really get blinded by the Lord Jesus? Am I really sent out to do this? But Paul was courageous. In fact, he was courageous to remain open with this message. He says he did not hold back any message that would be profitable for the Christians there. 
He was not secretive. He didn't create little cults and say, well, here's the, the you know, secret words you can use, or this is kind of like our code language. He taught in, in, um, out in the public. He preached in the synagogue in Ephesus. And then eventually he moved over to the Hall of Tyrannus. But all these were public places. And then he says here he went from house to house, going to the house churches in Ephesus and probably in the surrounding cities. And he also was inclusive with his message. He said here he testified both to Jews and to Greeks. Well, that would take courage because they were a very divided culture, very divided society. But he was courageous enough to do that. But he also knew that the message was for all people. You know, it was really an implication of his monotheistic beliefs. If we're polytheists, then you have your gods, I have my gods, no big deal. But if you're a monotheist, there is one God, and he's the God of all, and there is no room for exclusion. So he preached his message, and the message was for Greek, uh, Jews as well as for the Greek, for the free as well as for the slave, for the man as well as for the woman. And his audience was not exclusive, but his message was. He, was a, he had a very exclusive message. And he reiterates it in verse 21. And this is kind of like the Pauline gospel. If you want to just sum it up, it's right here. He says he solemnly testified to both Jews and Greeks, to everybody. It's a message to everybody, everywhere. And he says in, in that verse of repentance, of turning from away from your former self. And he says turning toward God. And having faith in, or believing in, or trusting in our Lord Jesus Christ. And the critical information of the whole passage is the object of what are you going to believe in? What are you going to hope in? What are you going to trust in? Well, it's in Jesus. Because there's only one name given unto men by which we must be saved, which is the name of Jesus. Now, people believe in all sorts of other things. They believe in, uh, you know, their church attendance. Why well, go to church? Or my granddaddy's a preacher. Or, you know, I've been baptized, or I do a lot of good things. Or at least, I don't do very many bad things. And that's what they trust in. But Paul says the message, really, is to trust in Jesus Christ. So it's exclusive message here. And then he explains where he's going and why. And the sentiment is that I will not shrink back as I move forward either. He says in verses 22 and 23, And now, behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. Paul demonstrated courage by being willing to go to Jerusalem, even though he didn't know what he would face. Now let's be honest, how many of us know what we're going to face from one moment to the next? I mean, we don't know what awaits us after we leave this room today, right? Uh, my wife is going through a Bible study with some other ladies through the book of James, and in chapter 4, he says, we make all these plans, but we got to be careful because we ought to say, as the Lord wills, because we make our plans, but really, it's up to the Lord because he's sovereign over all things. In fact, she says, she's kind of uh, got that thought going through her head, and it's uh, obsessing it a little bit. So when she hears somebody says, making plans for next year, she says, well, you might, if the Lord wills it, you know, but that's what she's thinking. But I think about that. We don't know what awaits us. What about those folks in Pittsburgh? that went to worship at the synagogue. They didn't know what awaited them there. We don't know what awaits us. These uh, people in uh, Southern California, just a t terrible thing, going to the club, not knowing what awaited them there. Then of course the fires that are sweeping there, it's just breaking our hearts. But 
The truth is we don't know what any of us face from one moment to the next. And even as we say yes to following Jesus, we don't know what awaits us. Sometimes we trick ourselves into thinking that if God loves us and we love him enough, then everything will just go well. That we'll face no problems. We just need to go ahead and deal with that one. That is just not true. And you are all evidence of it, right? Because you've faced trials and tribulations. You've faced troubles and you're dealing with it right now. In fact, Paul was compelled by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. But who was warning him about going to Jerusalem? The Spirit is saying, but when you get there, it's going to be tough, you know. So the Holy Spirit is compelling, but also warning him. I think the message is that Paul had a purpose for Paul to go to, uh, the Lord had a purpose for Paul to go to Jerusalem. But he warned him of what he would face so that when he got there, he was prepared. And then as he was dealing with it, he didn't have to say, hold up a second. He knew God is in it. God is in it. Even when I face this trouble, when this trial, God is in it. Well, how could Paul choose to go knowing he faced imprisonment and possibly death? This is the reason why. Paul knew there was something worse than death. Paul knew there was something worse than troubles and trials and struggles. He knew there was something worse than pain. And he knew there was something worse than inconvenience. What about you? Do you recognize that today? We are all driven by this innate desire of self-preservation. But in Paul's life, something overrode that, a whole different kind of ambition. And he said, I will face this because there's something worse than what might happen to me there. We can have courage to live on mission because we, as believers in Jesus Christ, we can know the worst thing that could possibly happen to us is not going to happen. As believers in Christ, the worst thing that could possibly happen is not going to happen to us. Because Jesus went to the cross for that. And we place our trust and our faith and our hope in him. And we know we will not face separation from God. The worst thing that could happen from us. In fact, we know the very best thing that could possibly happen to us has already happened. We've been redeemed. And we can live in light of that eternal truth. So Paul's primary ambition was fulfilling his mission. And in order to really understand suffering for a cause, I think we should look at another passage that Paul writes to the church at Corinth. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 really sheds light on what it is to have a mission and to face suffering while you do it. He says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. This body... This person of ours, which people give so much time and energy trying to nurture and to beautify, is just a jar of clay. It's just an earthen vessel whenever we consider it from an eternal perspective. We spend most of our time focused on the jar, on the earthen vessel, and not on the treasure that's within, the treasure that the vessel contains. When we worry more about the jar of clay than we do about that eternal treasure within us, that's what you call the tail wagging the dog. We've got it way out of order. So Paul continues in this chapter to says, you know, if we've got to face uncertainty, I'm willing to do it. If we've got to face struggles, I'm willing to do it. In verse 8, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, 
but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. This perspective convinces Paul he's not really at a loss when he suffers or he has to sacrifice. In fact, it goes on at the end of the chapter in verse 16 and 17. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man, the treasure, is being renewed day by day for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. There is something worse than death. It takes courage to live on mission. But the application is not for us to say, well, I need to be more brave. You know, I need to be braver. I need to be bolder. And that's what we tell ourselves. But the truth is, if it's dependent on us to be more brave, we're going to fail every time. Because we are weak and we will fold. But you apply this to your hearts by meditating on what God has already done for you. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, he has already rescued you. If you have placed your hope in Jesus, you are seated in the heavenlies with him. He says he is with you wherever you go. He will never forsake you. He goes in front of you. You cannot hide from him. You cannot escape from him. And he has plans and a purpose for your life. So we keep that in mind. We meditate on that to apply this truth to our life. Because we remember that Jesus says, take heart, for I've overcome the world. And that's who we hope in. So Paul went all in for the gospel. It took courage. And then we go to the second point. Living all in for the gospel takes commitment. Verse 18 and 19. Let me flip back over here. Verse uh, 18 and 19 says, And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the very first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plot of the Jews. Paul says to the Ephesian church leaders, I was with you serving. Serving comes from the Greek word doulos. Now, doulos does not mean like lend a helping hand. It doesn't mean waiting tables. That's not the type of serving it is. The idea is a bond servant. Paul says, I'm a bond, I've been a bond servant to Jesus since I've been here. You know what that is? That's a slave. That's the mentality that Paul's always thinking about. That's always in the forefront of his mind is that I am a slave to Jesus, so I will do whatever he commands me to do. So he says he served with humility, with tears, with trials. Well, is there any other way to serve than with humility? You can't serve with pride. It's impossible. You can't look out for your best interests and serve. Augustine said, for those who would learn God's ways, humility is the first thing, humility is the second thing, humility is the third thing. You cannot serve Jesus without humility. So the problem is that we can always choose not to serve, right? There are other options. We can look to be served ourselves. I mean, Paul had the option to do that. He could have said, well, this is, I, I did this for a while. Now I'm going to move on to something else where I get something out of it serving here. But he says he was with the people the whole time. In other words, he identified with the people. He didn't set himself up and say, I'm holier than y'all. I'm just going to hand down edicts and y'all do it. No, he was with the people. He was committed to serving and to ministry. And then he says in verse 24, But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus 
to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Paul was committed to finish the course. Last weekend, I ran the uh, Run Hard 5K. I know some of y'all ran like half marathons yesterday. I don't want to talk about that. But I did run a 5K with my kids, uh, my three boys. I know a lot, of this, a lot of the kids, if you ran that 5K, you just raise your hand so everybody can see it. And some of them got medals. We're so proud of them for doing that. But this was Andrew's first 5K. He's sitting right there next to Rachel, and he's seven. And if you've ever run a race, you know the feeling, doesn't matter how long or short it is, right? And when you get halfway through that thing, your body is saying, quit, give up. There is something better than winning a race, you know? Well, Andrew felt that pain last weekend and, um, you know, just of wanting to stop, but he didn't. Now, I stayed with him the whole time because I can run that fast, just that fast, but he ran that race. And the best part's when you get to that last quarter mile and everybody lines the finish line and you start speeding up and he sprinted to the finish. You know why? He was committed to running the race. He was committed to getting that medal to finishing strong. Well, there were all kinds of reasons for Paul to stop running the course. His body said, give up. I don't have any more in this in me, you know. The Holy Spirit is telling him, there's bonds and afflictions waiting on you. People in every city say, as a matter of fact, the scripture's real demonstrative. It says somebody wrapped themselves up in chains and said, this is what's going to be like, Paul, when you get to Jerusalem. He demonstrated it for him in case he wasn't getting it in his head. All kinds of reasons to give up. But Paul was committed, not to the circumstances and the desires of his life. Paul saw his task as unfinished, and he was committed to finishing it. His task was to testify to the gospel of the grace of God, the good news that God gives unmerited favor. He will give you blessing even though you don't earn it. So living on mission is not a convenient way to live. It takes commitment. What about you? Do you treat the Christian life as a convenient thing? You kind of say, well, we'll go to worship with the saints if it works out in our schedule this week. Or are you committed to it? What about spending time in the Word? Time in prayer. Is it kind of like, well, if I can fit it in today, I'll do it. Maybe at the end of the day. Or do you commit to it? What about serving and sharing your faith? You're like, well, if an opportunity presents itself and it's convenient. Or are you committed to serving and sharing your faith? How committed are you to God and the things of God? If you want to apply this message, you start right there. You decide, am I going to commit or am I not? Paul went all in for the gospel, and it took courage and commitment. Finally, takes community. Remember, Paul is issuing a farewell address here. He's saying goodbye to some close friends who'd become like family. In verse 25, he gets real personal because he believes he won't be back. We know he comes back, but he believes he won't. And he's pointing out the importance of the community of faith in his own life and also for the sake of the gospel going forward. I'm going to be gone. Y'all have got to step up is what he's saying. See, Paul didn't do ministry alone. He was no Lone Ranger. Do y'all remember some of the people that went with Paul on his mission journeys? We had Silas. He sat in prison with him. There was Lydia who met him there. That was that Philippian jailer who went all in for the gospel too. There was Timothy, who we talked about earlier. He went and he met Aquila and Priscilla. And guess what? They went with him to Ephesus. So they were there with him. Now that this leg of the journey is coming to a close, Paul is feeling the pain of separation. He had ministered here for about three years. And he's, he's having a tough time to say goodbye. Because he cared for this community. His conscious farewell is also a call to follow 
You go. Now you go and you live on mission. Well, I think we can glean from this passage and from all of Paul's epistles that we need the local church. I'm going to be real clear. I need the local church. I cannot live on mission without y'all. I can't do it. And I know you can't either. It takes community. So what about you? Are you laying down roots in your local church? Are you laying down roots here? I know some of you have been visiting for a long time. And maybe today is the day to join the church. Maybe the way to apply this message is say, you know what? We're here. We're here. Some of you have only slipped into worship. You've never made your way to a Sunday school class. Let me tell you, life change takes place in small groups. That's where real ministry is. And so maybe that's what you say. You know what? I want to be a part of that. And you step into that. Some of you are here, but you're only taking and you're not giving. Well, I think if everybody who calls this place home ought to have a place where you're serving. Maybe you can give one Sunday every other month where you're watching the children down the children's center so parents can be up here worshiping. That's a great opportunity for you. Maybe you can teach a Sunday school class. Or you can say, you know what? I'll volunteer for the class and I'll organize the outreach or the fellowship. Or maybe you can volunteer to take the phone lines back here so that our TV audience and those who join us by internet, when they want to call in and be encouraged and be prayed for, you can volunteer to do that. There's a place for you to serve. Paul went all in for the gospel. It took courage, it took commitment, and it took community. And guess what? It's the same for us. If we're going to live on mission, we need courage. We've got to decide, we've got to commit, and it takes community to do it. Let me conclude by pointing to verse 26 where Paul says, um, Paul says, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. It's an interesting verse. Paul lived on mission. And looking back, he has no regrets. Because he said, you know what? That treasure that's in this earthen vessel, I made sure people knew about it. Jesus commanded, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And guess what Paul did? He went therefore and made disciples of of all nations. And the call is the same for us as believers in Jesus Christ. Ezekiel 33 gives us something to think about of offering an analogy of what it's like to live on mission. And he uses the idea of being a watchman on the wall. And he says in verse 2, Son of man, speak to the sons of your people and say to them, If I bring a sword upon a land... And the people of the land take one man from among them and make him their watchman. And he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people. Then he who hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, and a sword comes and takes him away, his blood will be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet but did not take warning. His blood will be on himself. But had he taken warning, he would have delivered his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, and a sword comes and takes a person from them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require from the watchman's hand. Paul's responsibility was not to save. It was not to save, but it was to proclaim. It was the responsibility of the person to respond to his good news message. Some of you have never clearly understood the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. It's that there is a God who made you. He knows everything about you. And he still loves you. 
He loves you more than anybody else does. And he's a holy God. He's never done anything wrong. He's completely perfect. And that's what separates us from him. Because you and I have sinned. The Bible's clear. For all have sinned. That sins anytime we do or say or think something that falls less than what God's expectation is. And the wages, the punishment for that sin is death. To be separated from God. But God loved us so much he made a way. And it cost him. He sent his own son to come to earth to live as a perfect man. He grew up and he, he was arrested. He was crucified on a cross. He died there. Was buried. But he triumphed over sin, death, and the grave. And guess what? It gives us the hope that we can be with the Lord forever. That's the good news. It's not inconvenient news. It's not fake news. It's good news. And if you've never responded to that today, all it takes is believing and receiving. And you can be a child of God today. Now, some of you have heard it. And you might be like the watchman on the wall who fails to sound the alarm. You see judgment coming. You look at the signs. You know the Lord's returning. And you just keep it to yourself. God is inviting us to live on mission with him. That starts right in your neck of the woods. And then hopefully, as we announce trips of where we're traveling around the world, where we're carrying the mission, or we're supporting missionaries, you'll take advantage to be a part of that. We must live our lives on mission. Today, if God is speaking to your heart, would you respond? If the Holy Spirit is agreeing with something you've heard and said, that, that, you say yes to Jesus today. Our Father in God, we thank you so much for the great work that began as Paul traveled the world carrying the gospel that we can see the effects of in our own lives today because the mission, the message spread through his mission work and landed here. Now, God, I pray for each person here that we would respond to that good news either by receiving it or by proclaiming it. God, I pray that you'd have your way in our hearts today. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're gonna have an invitation. God is inviting all of you to respond. I'll be down here. If you want to come join the church, today's the day. If you want to follow in the next step, if you want to commit to be, live on mission, or if you want to give your life to Jesus, I'll be right here. I'd love to meet you. You stand, our choir sings, you respond.